0: It's Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. It's pretty thick, but the uh, the words are quite big, so I don't think it's going to take quite as long as we think.
1: What do you mean you're not going to tell me which Caravaggio it was? What are you some sort of monster, don't
0: you understand what your public want,
1: Dan Brown?
0: And, and he shows him this picture of, um, of Sonia, and is in some kind of position. That he go, God, how how would he do that to himself? And he's got my mind was racing. I'm thinking, what's he doing here? (laughs) A very good day to you, and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello, and it's time for a new book. It's that time. It's 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 such a wonderful moment in the series, isn't it? (laughs) When we come across the sort of wide-eyed and full of hope. For a new book. And this time we are doing in terms of copies sold. (laughs) The best one. All right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) The best thing about that now is that everybody who's listening to this is going, Are they doing shades of grey? Are they
0: doing fifty shades of (laughs) grey? I was, thinking, I was thinking the absolute opposite. I was thinking everyone's going, are they doing the Bible? Oh, a- <laughs> Matt! Tell you what, when we got through Game of Thrones
1: as a mere aperitif, that's what we do. 66 books in a row. Bring it on.
0: <laughs> well, this one does touch on religious aspects, I suppose. It's Dan oh, Brown's... one segue. <laughs> what a pro. It's <laughs> Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Um hey! Yeah. So, um, okay, I mean, it's... It's pretty. It's, here's my uh, in depth pre- preview of it. It's pretty thick, but the uh, the words are quite big. So I don't think it's going to take quite as long as we think. Um, <laughs> I but, thought you were going somewhere else completely with that. I thought you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <coughs> uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to do this in four parts. If you come into us for the first time, what we do is we break a book down into a number of parts and then sort of give you a uh, section to read to every week. And at the end of that week, we do a podcast on that part of the book. So it's like a page-by-page guide, if you like. Um, and yeah, this time it's The Da Vinci Code. Dave, Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, best-selling book of all time. What do you make of it in terms of coming to it for, for the first time? Have you read this before or is, this a, is this a first I, ha- I have read this before, yes.
1: Mm. Um, and... I- <laughs> Yeah, sorry. So I'm gonna I'm gonna willfully dispend my disbelief through all the many twists of this plot, but um, well no. So I read this when it was a massive phenomenon. Whenever it was, it 2006, something like that. It was huge. Yeah. And then uh, and then I went and read um, uh, Angels and Demons as well. Um, huh. and I read uh, yes. Yeah, so I've, I've I've Dan Brown's oeuvre, uh, his his contribution to world literature. I'm fairly actually fairly familiar with. And I'll say that when I read it all the first time. I I I was starry-eyed and innocent. I think because I just I you know I just I, you know I liked it. it it's it rattled along at a fantastic pace, mm. um, and you know there's one thing you can say about a Dan Brown novel is that he, he loves a plot and he loves some intrigue. And I'm always up for sort of plot and intrigue. Um, so um, so, but I mean, you know, I kind of. I sug- I this is on me, by the way, if we don't like this, this is on me because um, I suggested this. Um, just because I had a look at a bestseller list and realised how, I mean, you know, once you've stripped out Harry Potter and Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight, um, uh, just sort of realised how interesting it is that a book like this has been so successful um and and so many people just sort of went for it um in in both a good and a bad sense like loads of people bought it and loved it and then the critics absolutely you know tore it to shreds so Mm. i'm kind of i want to see i suppose which bit of this appeals to the sort of to my brain that just really loves a good spanking good plot and yeah. which which bit of it is gonna sort of offend the bit of it that managed to find a problem in Ian Banks's first novel, which is considerably more market than this. So uh, you know, I don't know what 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 were your impressions going into it?
0: Um, well, I, I have read this before, but it was ages ago, and I, I really don't remember much about it. So uh, I mean, I think alarm bells might be ringing there already for me. But, um, <laughs> and, and actually, when when you said. You know, it's it's all about the plot. Um, again, I'm a little concerned because I think what we've discovered from reading the pre- the past books is that the thing I really love is the sort of character development and characters I care about. And I'll be honest, Ooh. after this first part, I'm concerned <laughs> about just how three
1: dimensional <laughs> these guys are. Hey, hey, Matt, you you don't know. I think he's throwing you a curveball. I think he's going to get into some really deep kind of psychosocial. Consequences of of, uh, of you know of religion and and uh, and made up uh, academic disciplines and shit. I think he's going to surprise you. We shall see.
0: But uh, I'm <laughs> but I, I'm going into it. I, I, I stress I'm going into it wanting to like it. So um, we we'll see how we go. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, f- first part. Wasn't amazing, but it may get better. But let's let's get into this first part. So <laughs> today, <laughs> I may as well be honest. So today we're going from obviously the start of the book to chapter, doo, 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 doo. chapter nine. We're going as far as chapter nineteen. So I think that's roughly page one hundred and twenty in the version that I've got. So, but anyway, chapter nineteen, regardless of what sort of version of the of the book you've got. So, here we go. Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code, prologue, and we are at the Louvre, the famous uh, uh, museum in Paris. One of the mm-hmm. many famous museums in Paris. Museum d'Orsay is my, uh, my favourite one, but no problem. Louvre, let's go there. <laughs> it's <laughs> controversial with choice, that. Dan. Controversial.
1: <laughs> Man, if you're having a problem with the fact that he set this in the
0: Louvre rather than somewhere else...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this bodes well for you in the whole no,
0: thing. I, I, I'm always joking. Yeah, so 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 we're in the Louvre, and the curator uh, Sonier, um, who is, I mean, it starts. It's a great pace start, isn't it? It starts with this curator running for his life, effectively through the museum, and he uh, he's being chased by this albino attacker, and he manages to separate himself from his 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 assailant by he pulls um, a canvas off the wall basically it's, it's a caravaggio which funnily enough is uh one of my favorite painters he put i was actually had
1: yeah how did you feel about that <laughs>
0: Well, what I felt about it was curiosity, because I thought, oh, I wonder which one it is, and then he doesn't go on to describe it. So it was curiosity followed by frustration, for my I
1: I love that that in in this book, which is completely structured around having a cliffhanger once every six pages, that there was a cliffhanger so early on which was, like, incredibly tense for you, and you're like, what do you mean you're not going to tell me which Caravaggio it was? You, some sort of monster? Don't you understand what your public want, Dan yeah, Brown?
0: This, this, is, this is important. Is it, is it the beheading of John the Baptist? Is it the uh, St. Jerome writing, <laughs> version 1 or 2? What, what's it, what's it going to be? Is it the calling of St. Matthew? We just don't know. But then we, then we come back later on to the Caravaggio, and I was thinking, ooh, maybe it's revealed then, so, so we'll wait um but anyway so he pulls mm. off it pulls off this painting off the wall undescribed off the wall and uh <laughs> but he, he but he can't uh, he, he can't escape the uh the albino guy cuz he's got a gun so he that uh, the
1: cunning swine was he yeah. ba- a bad guy in a book with a gun
0: is yeah. i'm shocked so so, so so he so he shoots him through the bars uh he gets shot in the stomach um so he's going to take about 20 minutes to die and mm. then the uh, the attacker tries to shoot him in the head, but he's no bullets left. It's like the golden gun in um, in James Bond. He's only got one bullet in it, so he decides, <laughs> "Oh, forget it. I can't be bothered." And he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's rough for this summary of the prologue. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a great summary of the prologue, and I I I hadn't noticed that actually that his that this this like terrifying attacker's approach to actually committing the murder he seems to be hellbent on committing goes as far as pulling the trigger once and then just being like oh fuck it he'll die eventually i'm sure i mean you know whatever it is it's been worth breaking into a museum at night and chasing a world-renowned art historian through the uh through the the passageways but to be honest with you i'll probably just leave him lying on the floor bleeding Sure, yeah. I'm sure that there's no chance at all. There's a security camera around that will result in his being rescued.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, he, he he does he does fire again, but there's this, it's an empty chamber, which which is which gives one of two options for like well one of three. Option one, he's bought the one of the few guns in the world which only have one round, um, <laughs> which would be weird. Look, one look in the, the clip, th- zero in the spout.
1: Kill zone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's like he's got he's got massive uh, and it, it, it appears um, unjustified uh, self belief in his ability to <laughs> aim and shoot that thing. Uh, or, or number two, um, he just loaded one bullet in and didn't really understand how it worked, which is hilarious. That might actually be the one that I'm going to go with. Or number three. Uh- Number three, he's been spraying bullets around the Louvre for the last like 10 minutes and no one's noticed, <laughs> which is amazing as well. <laughs>
1: I just love the idea of somebody walking past the outside of the Louvre, which is this incredibly sort of atmospheric <laughs> building at night, with that massive glass cathedral out the front, right? And seeing sort of muzzle flashes and shit going on inside <laughs> just looking and going, oh, they've got very into avant-garde performance art, haven't they? <laughs> that's an interesting... Yeah. Anyway, anyway, shall we go to that little cafe where the, the waiters fucking hate us? Yeah, let's go to that one in Paris. <laughs> um, and that's the idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good slogan for Paris, by the way. Whether the waiters haters?
1: <laughs> if Rhymes and everything. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, um, actually, no. Little sidebar on this. A little sidebar on this. I have a friend who went there, who is francophone, speaks French perfectly, and they hated him as well. Like, <laughs> okay. thank waiters in Paris, haters are gonna hate. They are the original haters. Waiters gonna hate. Basically, is. The...
0: <laughs> well, they saw got there eventually. Doing it. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so so this guy, uh, Sonia, decides to pass on... He basically, before he's shot, he um, is is told to give up this secret. And he gives up the secret, but it's not really the real secret, it's a fake one. Um, Uh And it turns out these other guys who've been killed have have stuck to their plan and given the same fake secret out. And he decides to pass on the real message, because he's the last surviving person who really knows the truth about something, onto this other guy. Who's the other guy? We find out in chapter one, uh, where Bazing. Robert Robert Langdon ra- wakes up, is in the Ritz. Um, I I almost thought we were, we were going to go into James Bond territory here. It's in the Ritz, and yes, he's with a lady, <laughs> um, but he wasn't like that. <laughs> so no, no so, yeah. far
1: from it. He's, he, think, he he takes he takes time in one of his many internal monologues to remind us all about the lady love that he loved and lost because of something to do with bad travel arrangements or something. I didn't really follow that. Do you see that? But one of the first things he says is like, ah, I loved her, but I haven't seen her for a year because of reasons.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was someone called Victoria. Um, But yeah, so she's about somewhere, but not... not Particular relevant to the story yet. Um, Do
1: you reckon it's possible? Would I be 100 million miles out of line here to to intuit that this is a woman who he met and shagged in a previous novel and whose absence from the plot needs to be explained away so he can meet and shag (laughs) another woman in this novel?
0: Um, It feels like that's the way it's going, doesn't it? um, (laughs) We'll see. I'm putting my chips
1: down on that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So he wakes up and um, he's he's getting a call to the room. There's a visitor calling. Um it turns out it's this guy from the French police called Jerome Collet and he's allowed to come up to his room because he's too important to be sort of fobbed off by reception. So he, he turns up and says, Look, Sonia's dead, the guy you were supposed to be meeting last night and uh come with me. And and he sh- he shows him this picture of um of Sonia and he's in some kind of position that they go, God, how how would he do that to himself? And yeah, my mind was racing. I'm thinking, what's yeah. he doing here?
1: <laughs> it's this, this is the moment, isn't it, where you're reading this and going, having deftly sidestepped Fifty Shades of Grey, are we actually just going to end up doing... An, an, like, is this just Fifty Shades of Grey with extra art history in it? Like, how the hell did he do that to himself with
0: the Venus de Milo? How did he even... Yeah, has he choked on his own penis here? Is this what we're talking about? <laughs> And I bet you,
1: I bet you, Dan Brown would try and build an entire art history potboiler around that idea, tell us it was part of some ancient tradition or something, but we'll, we'll get to it, we'll get to it.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so, so he has to go, so Robert Langdon has to go and check this out. We then cut to chapter two, which is this albino monk called Silas, Um he's <laughs> an amb- albino monk mentalist called silas. uh so <laughs> yeah let's let's add that's add that word cuz i've
1: i've met a number of monks i've never met an albino monk but i, I don't think having no melanin necessarily makes you a psychopath. <laughs> but yeah. he definitely is one.
0: yeah i do i do quite to be honest of all the characters this is the one i find most interesting cuz it feels like he's sort of just fallen out of some um sort of medieval thriller that i, I may have yeah. read. So he's. Um, that's true. Yeah. He, he, he could easily be in Game of Thrones, to be honest, as well. Um, if oh, Game yeah, of Thrones actually, had yeah, no, yeah, totally stuff. could. So he's, he's on the hunt for this thing called a keystone, um, which would show him the. basically lead him to the final resting place of some other kind of secret, which for reasons <laughs> is important. Um, we never really understand. I don't know if we're going to do it later, but at the moment, we don't really understand why any of this matters, but I assume that's what. We find out later on in the book. So he's well, after this keystone. Sorry, go on.
1: I think there's a... I actually think Dan Brown is quite keen that we understand why this thing matters. He's just writing a thriller, so he doesn't want to tell us what it is. So it's, <laughs> it's dead interesting how much spade work he does over the next several chapters. In I mean, we, we will come to my objections to the particular kind of historical swing taken by this bloke. But... Um, uh, but he's, he definitely wants us to understand that it matters, and he's going to spend a lot of time telling us why. But he's never going to—he's not going to tell us what it actually is for really <laughs> quite some time to come. So, and there's a there's a word for this. Um, the in uh, Hitchcock always used to call this the MacGuffin. It's the yeah. thing that everyone's after in the plot, even though nobody knows what it is, right? So, I think we should call this the Da Vinci MacGuffin. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's where, that's where I am on this one.
0: Yeah. Okay, I can go with that. So he's after the keystone, which is going to lead to the final resting place of the Da Vinci McGuffin. <laughs> and so he he gets this phone call, and uh, oh no, he, he rings the he rings his sort of his boss up. Called I think is is his boss called the teacher? Yeah. Is that yeah is that the one he speaks yeah. to, or is it the is it the bishop he speaks to? I think it's the teacher. I
1: think I think he speaks to the teacher because the bishop for some reason, is just, like, way alongside the teacher.
0: Yeah, and 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 he's been told he can't speak to him by the teacher. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which we'll get to about... I haven't met many bishops, but I've met a few. They've generally all been lovely chaps, but none of them have struck me as the sort of bloke who would take orders from an anonymous voice on the phone. But we will get to that.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, okay, so... um, so Silas is told to go to this church and pick this keystone up. So he's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then he's given 20 minutes though first to get, get into a bit of self-harming because um, he's, <laughs> he's 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 banging to this. So he's got this, yeah. um, is it a Silis? Is it called a Silis or a Chilis? I well, don't know. Silice? It's it's, I, imagine... I, I don't know. Just uh, pick I'd the imagine least it's glamorous ta- one of those. Yeah, Yeah. I'd imagine it's either Latin or Italian. Um, yeah, so yeah. Um, whatever that is anyway, it's basically some sort of, Uh, Something you wear around your leg, like a belt, and you tighten it, and it's got sort of sharp metal studs on the inside, so it digs into your leg and makes it bleed. Uh, So he's got that. And um, and he's also got. For
1: reasons which are not appropriately explained at this point. Like he just. He
0: uses slogans all the
1: time, doesn't he? He says things like pain is purity and and stuff like this. But the purpose of this is to present him as a mental. Yeah. And. And that's it, right? That's yeah. the purpose of all of this, Wait, all of this it's,
0: stuff. He's got this knotted rope as well, which he uses to whack himself with um, to punish. But this kind of stuff, I mean, it is. Um, this is what uh, like religious people did used to get up to back in the day, like in the mid, in the mid, Middle Ages and stuff. Wasn't um, I mean quite famously pious, and uh, uh, the guy who wrote Utopia. What's he called, Thomas uh, oh. Thomas More. Ed. Yeah, Thomas More. Yes, he, Thomas More. Right, exactly. who's, who's a saint now, but he, there's, yeah. I mean, it's understood that he used to sort of wear a hair shirt and do bits and pieces like that. So, you know, it was, it was a legitimate thing that um, very religious people did way back when.
1: That's true, um, but I mean, I'm kind of, what I'm wanting for here, because he's using, I mean, it's very, it's like, it's a very lurid thing for somebody like this to do. And I don't know, I, I kind of wanted some explanation of it.
0: Yeah yeah you know a and
1: point. a little bit of digging into sort of why he feels the need to do this and why he particularly believes pain to be kind of purgative and so on because you're right like it's 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 not a new notion it's not the fact that he's doing it to himself that places him outside the bounds of the ordinary it's what he what he does alongside it i suppose um but it's yeah like i feel i just felt a little bit like it was religious window dressing masquerading mm. as religious insight yeah. um, and yeah. that's not the first that's not the last time that I'm going to have that criticism of this book But we, <laughs> will, we will move on
0: yeah so um, speaking of moving on Langdon's in the car moving uh, through the city and uh, thinking about Victoria briefly um, and then he oh, they go past the Eiffel Tower and he considers it to be a phallic symbol what do you reckon is the Eiffel Tower a phallic <laughs> symbol <laughs>
1: Well I mean, uh you know, I'm not familiar with that precise shape myself. Um, yeah. you know, I feel like if that is a phallic symbol, it's I mean it's I it, it, I feel sorry for Pierre Eiffel, let's put it that way. I feel sorry for the <laughs> bloke if that was if that's an accurate representation. Um, but I mean, but he loves this, doesn't he? Robert Langdon because he's 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 what's called a symbologist. Yeah. And the first time I read this, I um I was just like, ooh, ooh, "Symbology. Ooh." Harvard, eh? Ew. Must be a serious business. Yeah. Because um, I read this when I was 22 and I didn't know any better. And then I read it again. Like when I went and read it this time. I was like, I wonder if symbology is actually it. Bollocks. No such fucking thing as a symbologist. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first thing. Um, just, and, and the very, I, like, I love the idea that he's basically made up a discipline and then made it completely unquestionable by associating it with Harvard. Yeah, it's like me wanting to make up a plot device for a novel that I'm writing and inventing the Oxford-endowed chair of MacGuffins and yeah. just being like, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a thing." Yeah, what? Wh- wh- how smart do you think you are? Arguing with somebody from flipping Oxford University, a a a <laughs> symbology is taught at Harvard, in my mind, so you can't argue with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just see symbols and everything. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure about the phallic symbol, life or so. I think uh, this you know, people talk about phallic symbols. Or if you if you start getting into phallic symbols too much, you just start seeing dicks everywhere, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> anything, it's anything, that's anything that's
1: exactly anything Every that's building. taller than it is wide, <laughs> definitely a phallic symbol. There's a chair in my house yeah. that's a bit high-backed. Phallic symbol. Yeah.
0: Um, so, um, so we get to the Louvre, and we hear that it's got sixty-five thousand three hundred paintings. Oh art piece, isn't it, which I think is true um we also hear that it's got six and six hundred and sixty six panes of glass in the pyramid by design, which I'm it, not sure if that's true to, That's to be honest, bollocks
1: I looked it up it's yeah. bollocks it's got six hundred and seventy three but yeah. why let it get in the way of a story eh Dan?
0: this is this is this is this does sort of start to piss me off a bit now because. Like, yeah, the, the symbologist thing, I didn't, I I kind of had a feeling that was, well, I checked that out as well and it was crap. And the problem is that it, it presents loads of stuff as fact and yeah. it's sort of, it's not, it's not particular. Well, I suppose you just sort of, um like just suspend your disbelief and think, well, you know, yeah. any of this could yeah. be rubbish. But also it's kind of a little bit, a little bit annoying because it, it sort of presents itself as being true too. you know it's saying oh we're going to weave yeah. in these facts as well and yeah. then when it's just sort of blatantly just picking out things that are demonstrably untrue maybe maybe that's part of the point it's saying you know don't take this too seriously but Ooh, um meta
1: meta map
0: yeah but that's um impressive. but anyway yeah I, I, yeah, it's, it's so it's sort of yeah. one of those ones you just suspend your disbelief, isn't it? I suppose. But I think I, I think mean, if you if you're reading yeah. this looking for looking to find sort of conspiracy conspiracy theories, you may be a little disappointed. Although apparently part of the reason for him writing it is that he's banging into this big conspiracy theory around Opus Dei. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't yeah. know what to think. Yeah. <laughs> I well, well really I mean, I think <laughs> that's a
1: great. I think that's a great example of this sort of. I think one of the one of the problems with this book is that it opens with this page that says, like it has a number of caveats. It's like you know, you know, such and such is like such and such and such, and, such, and like relatively minor points about the plot. And then it has this glorious sentence which basically says, "Was well, it all descriptions of buildings, artworks, and secret rituals are accurate?" And I'm like, check them out in the Oxford English Dictionary of secret rituals. Did you, Dan, or did you attend them all? You know what I mean? It's just it begs the most massive clunking question. And if you're not careful, you will go through this thing believing that a lot of the stuff that's in it is accurate. And like, and the thing is that you only really need to know more than Dan Brown does about one of the thing, one of the many things that he presents as being accurate in this book. Like, for example, the number of panes of glass in the pyramid, just to pick one at random, there will be more, um, <laughs> for the whole thing to sort of unravel. So, But but you're right, but once you've done that, it doesn't rob the book of its value. It just means that you do have to sort of suspend your disbelief instead of being like, it's all true, you know, all of it. It's definitely, definitely an accurate representation of things. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: So uh, we we go through the museum, this kind of uh claustrophobic. Oh, we meet this guy, Bezu Fash, who is the uh another inspector. Well, actually I think he's a bit higher up than Colle. Um mm. and he sort of takes over from here. So chapter four, we'll go through the Louvre, we hear about these six hundred and sixty six panes of glass, um, and then we find out that Robert was supposed to meet Santier to uh discuss iconography, um, but didn't because he died first. Um and the, the there's a there's a sense of claustrophobia walking through that. I, I did like this piece walking through the museum, a museum at night. It's a it's a classically yeah. creepy setting, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, which is good. Um, he notices that there's a oh, hang on a minute. He goes in a lift and we get some sudden this <laughs> weird throwaway story where he's a he's claustrophobic, Robert Langdon, because yeah. when he was little he fell down a well. And uh, and was sort of swimming around at the bottom for ages till someone found him, <laughs> which seemed to sort of. It was a kind of anecdote that felt like it needed more than two lines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But that's the thing, Matt, is that he's read in a book somewhere about how you do character development, and you're supposed to give people a little bit of an emotional hinterland. So he's like, right, what can I? Do? I tell you what, I felt he's in a be well scared of. Small spaces, because he fell down into an inescapable small. A well, he fell into a well when he was a kid. Right, that'll that'll polish off a hundred words or so. Anyway, Uh, moving on. Paintings,
0: (laughs) murders. Yeah, he also he also notices that there's, um, Fash is wearing a, uh, which forever now will make me think of John Fashionu. By the way, I know I (laughs) can't not John Fashionu,
1: John Uh, (laughs) Fashionu.
0: So Flash the Bash is wearing a... um, A a glorious... (laughs) He's got a little sort of um, thing on his lapel. It's called a crux crux gematica or gemata. Mm. Um, Basically a little cross. And um, it's a particular kind of cross. And Langdon thinks that's a bit unusual. So it's probably worth making note of. And then they walk into the room of death. And they'll be cut away from them. (laughs) This, this happens quite a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Of, of course silence.
1: we do. Cut to other plot device, right?
0: Yeah. Cut to Bishop um, at oh. the Opus Dei headquarters. Or oh, die. Is it die or day? I, I think know. Dei. I'm not Dei sure. Dei,
1: okay. think, is how you say it. But. Um, day. Opus Dei. Okay. Opus Dei, I think. Dei. D or DI. I don't know. I don't know. I. <laughs> What I don't speak doing? Latin, I do not speak Latin, and I think that's clear at this point,
0: <laughs> okay, so yeah so so we go over to this guy, Bishop Manuel um Aringarosa uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, come on, sorry,
1: sorry, I can do come it, back. I can get through it, Dan, you've got to not listen to nursery rhymes before you name your major characters, all right. <laughs>
0: yeah come on don eringa rosa anyway yeah so it's bishop (laughs) manuel eringa rosa and uh he is sort of getting ready to hop on a plane it's just a chance for us to sort of hear about this opus Dei cult um as it's described in the book um seen as this sort of ultra conservative branch of the catholic church um It's also spawned the ODAN, which is the uh, Opus Dei Awareness Network um, online. Uh, Mm. So it's the sort of, there's some stuff that people aren't very happy about that this group is alleged to have got up to. There's this awareness group that's been set up just to sort of find things with it. And uh, this bishop's thinking, oh, well, you know, it's just people don't understand. We've got to be a little careful here because this is an organisation that actually exists in the real world. Um, yeah, so we, I just googled make, that. <laughs> yeah. so we need to we need to make it absolutely clear that um, we're not. Whenever we talk about this, we are not saying that any of this is true. It's just a book. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we anyway. we
1: unlike Dan Brown do not have an unlimited budget to spend on lawyers so and this is this is where it's difficult to talk about this, though isn't it Because there are areas where where the plot of this is very clearly totally out to lunch where it's science fiction, but it's yeah. tied down to specific demonstrable facts about the world and uses the the real world names of things, so yeah. it's a bit like all right, okay, I mean I mean i suppose I suppose if one or both of us wake up tomorrow morning with a mad psychopathic albino monk in our. <laughs> 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 bleeding softly Again. from the shoulders and shaking his head slowly. Like we will know that we shouldn't have mocked this plot, but um but yeah. I mean hopefully that's not gonna happen.
0: Yeah, so um so yeah it's just probably worth pointing that out that uh yeah we we understand it's just a book. But yeah, so basically um something something threatening appears to have happened. Something that's threatening the very existence of this organization. Uh, appears to have happened recently. We don't find out what it is, but this is why Silas is running about doing what he's doing. um And then, I think that's a. I think that's as far as we get with chapter five. It so is, move- but
1: there was something that I wanted to note here because there is a oh yeah. like. There's a lot of Dan Brown loves an internal monologue, doesn't he? And yeah. there's a there is a bit where he's you know sort of introducing uh Opus Dei, Dei Dei as a as, as an organization. <laughs> That's
0: never gonna get old, is it? Trying to it's grapple not with
1: that. Di- o- Oobidi Boo. <laughs> um as as I wouldn't call it because of the psychopathic monks. Um but <laughs> who are fictional, obviously. Fictional, hmm. very clearly. Um but um there is a moment where um Bishop, Bishop Ring of Roses is getting on a plane and um uh and he sort of Hang on a sec, there's a bit I need to find here. Yeah, right, no, here, here we go, here we go. He's on a plane, and this book yeah. was published in, like, 2003, right? So, I mean, like, after 9-11, this thing has been published. And this guy sits on a plane, he looks out of a window, and mutters to himself, they know not the war they have begun. <laughs> now... I find it beyond the credibility of of this entire story that at that point, somebody doesn't knee him in the back of the pack <laughs> and have him thrown off that plane in short fucking order. Because people have been thrown off planes far later than this in history from 9-11 for ordering, ordering food in Arabic or texting somebody using a non-European script. And I refuse yeah. to believe that even a guy in a bishop's mitre or whatever... Sitting on a plane, looking out of a window, whispering, They know not the war they have begun, doesn't lead to the air marshals being called in stat.
0: That would have been hilarious if in the film, sort of, he, he whispers it and looks out the window, and it just puns to the guy sitting next to him, just looking at it a wide eye, just shitting himself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just slowly reaches down and starts hammering the call hostess button. Just like. <laughs> Yeah. I think I don't think it's a real bishop's outfit. That I'm very <laughs> worried. <laughs>
0: uh, so we move on to chapter six. We're back at the museum, and uh, oh, here we go. We're into the room of death, and the first thing we see is this torn car- Caravaggio. What's it gonna be? Is it is it is it boy being bitten by a lizard? Is it you know the the Masters of St Matthew boy holding basket of fruit? What's it gonna be? Uh, We don't know again, doesn't it? Doesn't describe (laughs) it. I don't. I don't even know if any of those are in the Louvre. But um, but yeah, we'll never know. It's glorious. I had no
1: idea you were such a Caravaggio fan. This is fantastic. Like he's found a way to really irritate you. I I, I,
0: I'm not as big. I, I only. Come across as one massively because I went to an exhibition last week. So I ran all the hey. names because of that.
1: <laughs> I'm impressed. Don't take it away from me, Matt. I'm sitting here quietly and genuinely impressed by the depth of your knowledge.
0: <laughs> anyway, um we, we'll never know, it, it seems. Unless I'd love it if that was the reveal at the end that it was all about this painting, which we didn't reveal. Anything, <laughs> and we find out what it is. Um, Turns out the no- painting
1: had tipexed on the front by Jacques <laughs> Sonier himself. Such and such did it. That would be yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, the, no, the, the thing is, the big twist at the end is it's not the Da Vinci Code, it's the Caravaggio Code.
1: Yeah, then, Da Vinci you know. was Caravaggio. Look through the look through the looking glass, people. We are through on the other side here. Da Vinci was Caravaggio.
0: <laughs> yeah, he just sort of he didn't die. He just lived for a few hundred years and sort of hid for a bit and then reemerged as a different yeah. painter. <laughs>
1: just walk, walks walks in with a dripping paintbrush, enigmatic smile on his face. Guess who's back? Back again, Da Vinci. Um. <laughs>
0: oh dear anyway yep yeah. so um we see the torn painting uh we head further in uh we hear a bit more about uh, mrs victoria and then um the hang on a oh so what happened here he, he says you know why did nobody you know help Santier' because he was you know he it took him 20 minutes to die. And mm. it turns out the security services came as soon as the as the bars came down on the on the area. But they heard someone moving around. But when they shouted his name, he didn't respond. So they sort of just left it and called the police. Um, <laughs> which, 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 which yeah, which does raise question. That is the protocol apparently, but it does kind of raise questions about the security services. But also, um, it does raises questions about Um you know, could he not have said, "Oh, come help me out"? Um, oh, maybe, maybe no, because he wanted time to create this weird um, sort of clue. So,
1: yeah, which which will come to, but I I have to say it does sort of beg a belief to me that this is a that this is a uh, this is the probably the world's greatest collection of artworks, and <laughs> a there are no security cameras. B there's a security system that literally nobody can disarm. <sighs> See, there are parts of it where you can only get in from the one end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is it beyond the wit of man for there to be a fire escape at the other end? And, lads? And, well, there's somebody down there and he's not moving very much and, and the alarm's definitely gone off. <laughs> do you think we should do any of the several things that we're probably able to do in order to access this... This space and find out exactly what's gone down, ASAP. Yeah. yeah. No, mate. Well, no, no. Just leave it.
0: Maybe the point is, you know, the bars come down, so whatever's in, whoever's in there is trapped in there. So then you just wait for the uh, for the heavies to arrive to sort of sort it That's out. That's
1: it, isn't it? It's Jobsworth. It's a like lot more than my Jobsworth to open that one up. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, it's rubbish. Oh, it's whatever. What do, you, what do I look like to you, a member of the true gendarmerie? No, mm. no,
0: no. So, so we come across the body anyway. It's, it's, unfortunately, he's not he's not died sucking his own dick. He's actually naked, spread eagled. Um, he's drawn a pentacle, uh, pentacle, yeah, on his body. Um, sort of in his own blood. And pentacles, this sort of very, very well-known pagan symbol. Um, (laughs) then Langdon spends a couple of pages doing his best to rehabilitate the reputation of the pentacle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I really
1: loved that. I really (laughs) love how sort of shameless this is as an exercise in like, I'm going to preach to you now. Like, you know, like this is very clear, sort of Dan Brown. These are, you know, these are author's views put into the interior monologue of a character. And and I am not unfamiliar with this as a genre, of, uh, of, of literature, right? Um, but it's always shit. And I find it quite <laughs> pleasing that... So I, I, I kind of, you know, I've, I've encountered this in the, the sort of... What, what I'm, I'm going to call, because I, I still identify this way, um, I am a Christian... And so I'm going to call it the shit Christian end of the of the uh, the literature market, where somebody just goes off <laughs> on a three-page sermon, basically, and calls it literature, right? And it's so weird to realise that it's not only, like, you know, people who share roughly, broadly, the same religious beliefs as I do, who, uh, who are capable of acting in this astonishingly ham-fisted manner. I really, really love that this shows that, you know what, you know, kind of pagans can be hand fisted too um because because he's very clear that that's what he's doing here he's like kind of i'm going to tell you all the things that i want you to believe and um and it's it's marvelous i i kind of wish there was a better written version of this so i could actually get an account of these beliefs that wasn't quite so clearly punching you over the head with the things that the author believes you should believe yeah but, um yeah
0: yeah, because it is quite an interesting subject matter. How, how um, sort of, especially at early stages of religion, how um, key religious symbols in other religions are used uh, are turned into sort of bad symbols in in your religion. So he gives examples here of you know the, the trident of Neptune becoming the sort of associated with the devil. I mean, in a wider, in a sort of, as part of that a wider, this is a this is a big and very controversial and um you know h- hard fought over debate that we don't want to get too yeah. into but sure, um sure, sure. The, the sort of wider one of the other ideas around that um is this sort of re- representation of women as well isn't it especially in yeah, the early yeah, 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 the early yeah, church yeah, yeah. um and how the um how women represented in pagan uh Religions to how they were um, in more organised religions, um, which yes, came along yeah. later. But again, yeah. I mean, if you want to find out more about that, maybe just sort of go and read up on it. But <laughs> we're not the place to,
1: to, re- try to read. And get into read it. up on it somewhere other than the books of Dan Brown, though. I, like there are yeah. there are better and more insightful writers on paganism than Dan Brown. Thank yeah. fuck. <laughs>
0: um, so um, speaking of writers, I'll tell you what this uh, this curator he was a bit of a writer. Because he's uh, not only has he hey. done, his, not only he's his pagan symbol in blood. He's uh, he's got a little invisible ink felt tip pen in his hand, and he's written a message on the floor. And uh, what is it? We don't know yet. We are going to find out soon. This this kind of stuff does. Is there there a cliffhanger, Matt? Is there a (laughs) cliffhanger by any chance? Yeah, it's like Goosebumps, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's the cliffhanger at the end of every chapter. It
1: is! Fuck, it's exactly the same as as Goosebumps with the chapter (laughs) ending where it's like, something terribly dramatic happened. The potentially dramatic thing having passed without incident, the characters (laughs) continued on the larger plot.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so we don't know what it is yet, but we're going to find out in a bit. And we also find out that... Uh, for some reason, Langdon and this whole conversation is being secretly recorded by a collet uh, uh, in the room next door. I wonder why. Um, chapter 7. We're at the church of uh, St. Sulpis. Sulpice. Oh. Anyway, it's that one. Um Suppe? Yeah, Suppe. And, uh, uh I don't know. The, so this is a nun who's knocking about at the church. She's w- woken up in the middle of the night and told to let this visitor in who's turning up soon. Um, it's obviously going to be Silas, and her women's intuition makes her feel uneasy. Uh, that's the end of the chapter. Um, Do he really say thought, that? Anything to say? Her women's intuition. Yeah. S- Seriously. Uh, um, I got a minute. Let me let me bring it up. Chapter seven. I feel I, I feel I need to prove this now. <laughs> Unlike Dan. Women's intuition. Uh,
1: Did she have the intuition while she was doing the cooking?
0: As the chill rose through her flesh, she felt an unexpected apprehension. Women's intuition? There you go. So I suppose it's not saying it is, it's questioning whether it is. (laughs) Well, fair enough. (laughs) That's a ballsy move, isn't it?
1: Yeah, anyway. She thought of something... Oh, Anyway, yeah.
0: (laughs) Chapter 8. So this is... We find out what's written in the... um, do you get the feeling that chapter seven's there literally just to split up, um, to just so the yeah. cliff, the cliffhanger is there? Because <laughs> not a lot absolutely. happened then, did it? Anyway, absolutely. Uh, so chapter eight. So there's a lot of numbers. Uh, he's written a lot of numbers, and then he's written Oh, draconian devil, O oh, lame saints," and that's it. And he's also drawn a circle around himself somehow. So um, mm. we find, so we work out from that that, that his body position is to. Display the famous Da Vinci figure, uh, the Vitruvian Vitruvian man. Vitruvian, uh, a, I think. Vitruvian, that's it. Yeah. So is a, a it's it's the you know it's the one that everyone's seen with the guy with the with sort of standing spread eagled, um, guy with four arms out. and
1: four legs and his cock out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so,
1: so um and a glorious perm as well. By the way, I don't want to take away from the guy who did the hair and makeup on that one because it's it's uh, it's a perm for the ages that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we look, So then, there's a bit of a discussion about Da Vinci and how Da Vinci was known as a um, sort of a. There's there's a lot of. Uh, let's get let's get into this. There's a lot of talk around Da Vinci as being sort of a, a reluctant religious painter and artist. If you like, he was very because mm-hmm. um, because of obviously. Is he's, is he's a, he's a fascinating character, da Vinci, and his sort of oh, yeah. inventive side and his his interest in science, and um, of course the, the the famous bits of religious art he did as well, like the uh, yeah, yeah. Sistine Chapel. Uh, so uh, we we'll go into a bit about that and how he was he was. Uh, there's a theory that he's particularly critical of the church in, but in sort of a, I don't know, like a underground resistance kind of way. Is he sort of put <laughs> hidden stuff in his paintings and? um and is Did, this is is this sort of curated and some sort of elaborate criticism of the church as part of his death uh, so
1: well which which causes us to to touch on a couple of interesting things first of all, how likely a venue is it for sort of political resistance to sort of code things into your paintings because mm-hmm. on the one hand that 's fantastic obviously like leaving leaving clues in plain sight. You know, it's, it, you know, taking a photo in the background of, you know, it's like somebody being at school and actually we had this happen at school one time. We didn't like our headmaster very much, but he was very well connected and he managed to get a news round to come to our school once. Uh, the BBC yeah. kids news show to come to our school. And... um uh, and they were filming in the library and we were all locked out of the library so uh, but there's these long windows along the side and they could, uh, but so of course what we do is we go up to the window and just start flicking the V's and trying to get in the shot and trying to like stage <laughs> this incredibly so on the one hand you sort of you're like yeah stick it to the man yeah woo yeah yeah on the other hand though if you if you're the sort of kind of if if you're a performative personality if you're creating something that you want people to look at and understand it must have absolutely killed da vinci to put all of these secret you know middle fingers up to the religious order in his paintings and then have only one man from harvard 400 years later work out what they actually were <laughs> do you know what I mean like, this, is, this is why he came back Brad. this is why Da Vinci came back as Caravaggio is because he was like nobody's getting it, fuck I need to do it all over again I need to. I can't not have my subtle visual witticisms lost to the world I've got to come back and start explaining them
0: that's the danger if you hide them too well Yeah, you're, you you're too be? smart Leonardo too smart mm uh so I, I quite like this is, I, I did like this because it comes back to um it becomes relevant in a couple of chapters time but um the uh the, the inspector uh Fashe says uh you know i'm um, we're trying to find clues from this I th- we think he's trying to tell us who killed him and uh langdon says well if he wants to do that why don't you just write the name of his killer down and uh just just bear that in mind for in about two chapters time
1: uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's that is a bit on the nose though isn't it that is that is yeah. slightly obvious i would say yeah
0: i quite liked it though um but anyway <laughs> so um we, we also go back to we go back to the office where Cole is sitting listening in Um we find out that fash is quite religious um and that langdon yes langdon is the prime suspect in this and this the whole reason they're recording it and the whole reason that they've got him down there is to try and get something on him um so, yeah. And this this brought up a sudden, sinking, terrifying feeling in my stomach because <laughs> I thought, please no, but are we in another the death of Rod, the murder of Roger Ackroyd situation here? <laughs> where- <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Ruined there. Um, Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean... You would hope not. But at this point, who can say? Because, because, I mean, if it's not that, what we are building this plot on is the idea that in the 20 minutes between being shot in the stomach and dying, this guy decided to mount an an astonishingly almost impenetrable uh, series of clues, like basically instead of dying words he decided to have a dying treasure hunt <laughs> and I'm not sure that's much less likely to be honest
0: yeah, so they're in, they're in the chapter 9, they're sort of standing around the body and this message comes through that um, this cryptologist um, has 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 cracked the code and from the, the list of numbers and she's on the way up and Fash... Doesn't like this this woman, um, basically because she's young, good looking, and distracting for a, a room full of middle aged men. It Couldn't, turns out. Honestly, um,
1: I was like, <laughs> I, I was a, I, I read that and I was like, oh, that's very unfair. And then I thought actually about what I've heard from friends of mine in that, and I'm like, no, that's that's likely <laughs> to have happened. That of all the unlikely things in this in this chapter, that one is the one that should be unlikely, but is actually true.
0: Yeah. So it's, so this Sophie turns up, she's, um, she says she's broken the code and then she gives Robert a phone and says, you've got to phone the embassy, there's a message for you. He rings, it, he rings the number and it's her answering machine which gives him a different message, basically saying you're in danger, listen up, I'm going to get you out of it. Interesting.
1: <laughs> I really love that. And I loved how, um, how dense Langdon is. You know, she says, <laughs> Mr. Langdon dial this number, put in this code, it's going to be okay. And he dials it, and it's her answering machine. And he all but turns to her and goes, I'm terribly sorry, Ms. Naveau, this is your answering machine. (laughs) Please take it away from me and and communicate with me no further. Now, Mr. Fesh, what would you like? Like, he just so nearly torpedoes himself, and it's fantastic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, Mr Nouveau, this uh, this appears to be a means of delivering a secret message to me. Uh, could you just uh, take that one back? Uh, I'm in the middle of something here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you mean, secret message? No, no, i tell you what, no, you may not be aware of it, so I'm just going to repeat to you now everything that you're saying to me via your apparently secret message. <laughs> Dear Dr Langdon... Something French, something French, something French. Uh, great danger... Something, something. <laughs> Under no circumstances let the police know that you're. Oh. Oh, bugger. Oh.
0: I do love how we've um, just, just casually appropriated Robert Langdon, who is now definitely British and no yeah, longer no, American. Yeah, no, definitely.
1: Ab- absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, I th- I think we have the right to do that because it is a damn sight more original than than Dan Brown's own characterisation of him. He actually uses the phrase Harrison Ford look-alike in the first <laughs> chapter where he appears. It's like, come on, Dan, put some effort into it, son. <laughs> it's possible for somebody to be sort of, a, a, a you know, a, a dealer in antiquities without looking like... Indiana Jones. That is a possible thing. No? Yeah. No. Never mind.
0: Yeah. Anyway, chapter 10. We're back with uh, that laugh a minute party animal that is Silas. Um, <laughs> is, he's, 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 he's sort of on the, on the trail for this, um, obviously, for this keystone that will lead to this information that will apparently make Opus Day super powerful. Again, not sure why. Um, yeah. We get a bit of backstory. Winning lottery Sil-
1: numbers, Matt. Winning lottery
0: numbers is what it is. Yeah. You get a bit of backstory for Silas. So um his, his dad killed his mum, he killed his dad, became a bit of a drifter for a while, moved around France for a bit, ended up in an in prison. There was an earthquake, so he escaped. <laughs> um but sees this some kind of religious experience. And then he ended up meeting up with this uh bishop uh Rosa and uh and and that's how he sort of that's how he got into, get, got into his religious stuff, um, into his extreme uh, religion, and then we cut to Aringarosa who's in the air and thinking about how he's not allowed to speak to Silas because that's what this guy called the teacher says.
1: Yeah, yeah. As as he fiddles suspiciously with his shoes and a poorly filled <laughs> lighter. Um, I tell you what I liked about this chapter is um is. The way the way it describes where Silas has been locked up, um, hmm. which is Andorra. Now Andorra, I, I've I've never been there myself. But I have friends who've gone there and they described it as as a perfectly lovely little principality in the Pyrenees.
0: Yeah,
1: you know. So I'm thinking, kind of, you know, mountains, countryside. You know, there's a bit of skiing. Possibly, you know, there's, uh, you know, you know, I'm thinking, you know, blue skies. Mountain drives All very alpine All very lovely And he manages somehow Dan Brown To make it sound like The 15th pit of Hades When he's (laughs) describing it He's like kind of Andorra (laughs) <laughs> where men are despairing and women aren't present. You know, like, just... And it's hilarious because the rest of this book has is, is been, like, that overblown, but on the other side of the ledger. It's all Paris, the impossibly beautiful jewel in the crown of basically everywhere in human society. It's amazing to be here. To your left, you will see, you know, the Church of Saint-Sulpice, and to your right, you will see the Louvre with its many symbolisms, and, and all of this... And then he picks Andorra, and I'm like, Dan, have you not been to Europe? There are more than enough despair-ridden places in Europe for you to write about <laughs> without being like, oh, yeah, 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 that well-known holiday destination. What a shithole. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, he said it in Magaluf. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Ma- Marbella, you know, Magaluf. the Costa del Sol's there for your taking, mate. <laughs>
0: It would, it would have given this chapter a different tone if, uh, if Silas was looking back to his time in Magaluf. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You'd pay money for it, though, wouldn't you? Silas, the backstory here, the prequel, Silas in Magaluf, A Tale of Despair.
0: Yeah. Um, so we move on to chapter 11, and uh, Sophie explains to, to Robert Langdon that the numbers are the Fibonacci sequence... So they don't really have any meaning, meaning at all. I think she explains that to the inspector as well. Um, yeah. And then Langdon finishes his call and says he needs to use the toilet, so he wanders off. I would and, imagine he does. Yeah, and the but the inspectors, the people you know, putting together this elaborate case to trap him, um, are keep an eye on him by just watching the the, the tracker that they've the, they've sort of stuck on him in his pocket. It turns out. <sighs> Damn,
1: mm. them, they're sneaky. Them. Sneaky yeah. So chapter,
0: so, chapter 12 Sophie meets Robert in the toilet and then she pulls this tracker out of his pocket and says, Look, there's a tracker in your pocket. Or she gets him to pull it out. Um, and I mean, spectacular good luck for Sophie and Robert that when the inspectors effectively bugged Robert, they didn't bother bugging him with a microphone. Um, <laughs> you'd think that might have been useful. But no glorious
1: that's flipping incredible guys do you think we should put we've got the little tracking device here it's tiny but crucially small enough that a human hand could find it if they were minded to do you think we should put some kind of take advantage of all the extra space we have here and put in some sort of microphone or or other device no I think the physical tracking device will be more than sufficient Quickly, (laughs) put it on him and go
0: (laughs) don't tell me how to do my job yeah. I've been doing this for 35 years
1: Yeah, that's right Sorry, I forgot you knew how to do this better than me God, you're no better than that Distractingly attractive young woman Who works in the in the code-breaking department Go on, away with you
0: If we're trying to get some dirt on this guy sir, Surely, you know, if um, if we stick something in his pocket Then we'll pick up things that he's saying When he doesn't think he's talking to the police Will you shut up and sit down? we hes gonna say it to us, isn't he? So we don't need any of this. So just leave it. Okay.
1: Why would we need to have redundancy in our plans here? It's—it's—it's um, it's, it's, uh, arrested development, isn't it? It's a management technique. What are you taking, stupid pills?
0: <laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah. So it, there's no. It's just a tracker. There's no mic, and uh, they've not booked the toilets either. And um, the extra. This is Sophie tells Robert about the extra line that's been rubbed out. So apparently when they found the body of this curator... Um, he'd written those th- those things, but he'd also written a line be- up below which said, find Robert Langdon. So when Robert Langdon has said, why don't you just write the name of the killer down?" The uh, the inspector's going,
1: <laughs> yeah, so would the way. <laughs> While internally moonwalking around and going, oh yeah, oh yeah, who's your daddy, baby? That's right, it's Mr. Fash. Like, it's just, it's nuts. Hilarious. I just, I, I love that. I love that section. Because you can just imagine on the inside he's doing that the outside is just a single flicker of the right eyebrow. Yeah. Oh, really, that's an interesting suggestion, Monsieur Langdon. Maybe we will. <laughs> maybe we won't. I'll keep you in suspense on this.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Chapter Thirteen, we hear a bit more about the sort of setup here. So, Robert Langdon is the prime suspect. Um, Sophie believes that the curator left this message for her because he wrote this cryptographic message. Uh, he wrote this. He wrote this series of numbers so she would be called. Um. This doesn't make a great deal of sense, if I'm honest, because she says at first that he left this message for Sophie and she was meant to find it, not the police, but he's left the message in such a way that when the police find it, they'll get in touch with Sophie and get her to come down. Uh, a bit, the, 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 the guy, yeah. the guy was the guy was shot in the stomach. So I suppose he wasn't thinking massively clearly. But yeah, it doesn't make a great. Well, if,
1: sense. yeah, but if he wasn't thinking massively clearly, then the whole of the rest of this plot <laughs> falls absolutely to pieces, doesn't it? It's like yeah. if at any point you can say that anything he's done here is less than absolutely precise in intent, then he, he you know, he might as he might have been trying to point people to a, a fairly prosaic place in his house where he's hidden his will and testament or something. You know? Yeah, it's just. I'd quite love it if that was actually his intention, and this whole kind of (laughs) uh, art history uh, treasure hunt that he goes on here is just a complete coincidence. If you you could raise him back to life, he'd be like, good God, did you really? Did you you find out that, well, I'll be damned. No, I was just trying to remind you to feed the cats after I'm gone. I mean, I just love those cats a lot. I just, there's nothing more in it than that, really. Wow. I mean... Tell you what, you never know what you never know, do you? Yeah. Uh. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's so anyway. So that's, so that's where we are. There. Then we, chapter fourteen. Um, the police are waiting for for Langdon to come out of the toilet, and Fash is getting a bit anxious now. He he wants to sort of check he's still there, uh, but mm. he decides he'll trust in the, you know, he'll trust in the power of the GPS and just mm. leave him to it for now, because obviously he doesn't want to blow his cover by running after him. Um, chapter 15 back with Silas uh, still on his way to get the keystone Uh, not a lot happens here other than Silas sees a few (laughs) good looking women and um thinks about how he doesn't have sex anymore. But he doesn't really want to have sex because of what happened in prison. I and mean, he they basically use his ass as a sex toy in prison, so he's he's oh. had enough now. He doesn't, doesn't want to know. Well one can understand that position, <laughs> yeah. right? Although although I
1: I'm not sure how wild I am about building that fact into the into the fairly <laughs> two dimensional portrait of an absolute psychopathic killer. Is it like this is not the character depth that you were hoping for, I think it might be safe to say.
0: <laughs> No, it's not. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that's like chapter 15. Silas thinks about sex, doesn't want to know. Chapter 16. Um, so Sophie's wandering around now thinking, is she doing the right thing by helping Robert Langdon out? Apparently, um, she's had a difficult relationship with her granddad, who is this... Cu- the cu- Oh, yeah, sorry, that was one of the reveals. It turns out that the the curator... Was the grandfather of Sophie? That's the, that was the connection yeah. between the two of them. Um, now it's, they had a bit of a strained relationship because uh, she walked, <laughs> she walked, she walked in on Grandad doing <laughs> yeah. something that he shouldn't. I don't we, don't, we don't, we don't know what it was. We don't know if it was Shaggy the maid. We don't know if he was sort of you know standing with a tie around his neck and an orange in his mouth, wanking himself off. We just don't know what it was yet. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's amazing. I, and the thing is that because Dan Brown loves a cliffhanger, it allows you to sit with whatever image pops into your head when you think of an elderly French art expert doing something that he shouldn't when he's walked in on by his granddaughter. And yeah. it's a bit like, oh, this is uncomfortable, isn't it? But it, it is impossible to get away from the idea that whatever he was doing, it involved the words masturbating furiously. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah so um so she (laughs) she saw whatever it was he was doing whether or not it involved an orange in a tie and she uh she left and was angry and then he called her um yesterday and said come come meet me There are some stuff that you've got to know about it's absolutely essential that you know these things time is of the essence i'm not sure how long i've got and she's probably, I'd imagine, she said, oh, just tell me now. And he said, no, I don't want to tell you now. I, I want to wait <laughs> to the, to the would moment's be right. That too satisfying. Yeah, to the moment's right. That I want to get some mood lighting. I want us face-to-face. This is stuff <laughs> that you've got to know as soon as possible. I can't emphasise enough how soon I need to give you this information. But, uh, you know, let's not, not talk about it now. It now. <laughs> <laughs> so... uh so yeah, so she's turned up, but obviously since then he's died, so he can't. But maybe he's the irony,
1: he's, Matt. The irony.
0: Yeah. So maybe he's, um, maybe he's tell, maybe he's sort of trying to tell her through death now. Now um, it just so happens that I, I, you have probably picked this up already from how I've been with this book so far. But I don't really like puzzles and sort of oh, code breaking. Oh, bloody
1: hell, Matt! Oh yeah. dearie me! This I gotta is go not out the there book for you.
0: Um, so. Yeah, but it turns out that the grandad taught, um, taught Sophie, he basically, basically spent her childhood being taught about code breaking, which is probably my idea of a, a childhood hell. Um, but anyway, she, <laughs> that's what she had to do. And,
1: uh, that's, you're just reading this page after page after page going, you monster, stop it. <laughs> Stop it! She's solved enough puzzles. Stop it! <laughs> she just wants to go and play outside.
0: <laughs> Maybe that was what it was when she walked. She was she walked in on her granddad, sort of creating like the world's biggest Sudoku book for her, <laughs> and she just said no, 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 right. no more <laughs> of <done."> this. <laughs>
1: There's a misery lit blockbuster in that, isn't there? Forced yeah. to do puzzles, the Sophie Navo story. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, but anyway, she decides that she's going to get Robert Langdon out of the Louvre. They're going to slip the detectives. The way they do it is explain the next two chapters, the final two of today. So the, se- chapter 17 is the detective's point of view. And what happens is um, an alarm goes off. Oh, they find it that Sophie wasn't actually sent by the cryptography department. She just turned up. Um <laughs> You can imagine them just waving her out of the
1: room, can't you? Just like because they're because they're all distracted by her debilitating beauty and completely ignorant of her actual abilities as a human being. That like they get the call and she's in the office. She picks up the phone and goes, "Shit, I better go, hadn't I?" Just turns to her boss and goes, hey "Jean-Luc, I'm just gonna head out for a second and just just gonna yeah, that's like walking out of here. Are you fantastic? Yeah, I'll just watch you go. Yeah, see you later." What you, what's she doing? Oh, I don't know, I didn't listen. She's a woman. Why would I listen to her? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it was... Obviously, it's been... The the curator's done this to get her to come down. And I reckon yeah. the calls go into the office and uh, and the boss has gone oh, there's been a, there's a series of numbers written down. They need someone to decipher it, and she's sort of standing up. Says, Where are we going to find someone to decipher the <laughs> numbers? She's sort of well, well, it's just. I mean, I think we're going to have to put a call into Marseille. There's a guy down there who can do it. And she's like, I'm sitting right here. It's <laughs> fun. Yeah, okay, whatever, you Just make us another cup of tea or something. That's what we yeah, normally yeah, get you to exactly do Yeah, That's
1: exactly it, isn't it? That is exactly it. I would actually want to see that. scene. <laughs> In this book, like more stuff about hyper-intelligent female characters absolutely poning their colleagues who think they're only good for making a cup of tea. That is a damn sight more entertaining than any amount of stuff about the casual mistreatment of Caravaggios.
0: <laughs> so, anyway, on chapter seventeen: that the police are waiting in in the room with the body. The alarm goes off, and then they they notice that the. Um, the GPS that, that Langdon, according to the GPS tracker, has jumped out of the window and then suddenly is running at a great pace away. So they all chase after him.
1: <laughs> Sorry. That's it's just amazing. I love that these are supposed to be the best police in the in the city of Paris. And they're completely first of all, they don't put a sound bug on the guy where they would find out that what he's actually done is, spoilers, jump into a truck. <laughs> But but and that they don't think of that explanation when they see this thing drop from an impossible height and then move off at about 60 kilometres per hour around the ring road. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Yeah. I didn't know he was a sprinter. Did you know he was a sprinter? No, and I didn't know that he was basically Wolverine and was able to fall <laughs> from a great height, heel instantly, and then run off at extraordinary pace. Yeah. Good heavens, well, we'd better chase him, hadn't we? Oh, where, monsieur? Like... <laughs> There's just, there's a lot of subtle, this is one thing actually that I've noticed throughout the, like, the first few chapters of this. There is a lot of subtle, you can't trust those bloody Europeans with anything in the way that this book <laughs> describes its own plot. And one of the ways in which that is is, it subtle, Dave? is the presentation of the <laughs> All right, fair enough. I mean, it starts off with the explanation for, for the Americans in the audience. That apparently in Europe, every time you check into a hotel, somebody takes your passport from you. Having yeah. grown up in Europe, I haven't noticed that. Have you?
0: Mm, no, that does happen sometimes. No. But yeah, it nah. happens
1: sometimes. But Excellent. it's only ever happened to me in like former police states. It happened to me in <sighs> Turkey and Bulgaria yeah. and shit. But I've ne- never once happened to me in France. But but don't worry about that because what we need to know is that these police, they are broadly competent, but are unpredictable enough that I can get some fairly shady narrative nonsense past you and have you just write it off as being those crazy Europeans. That's the deal there, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So we, we find out the, the, the truth in uh, chapter 18 where, um, so what happened was Sophie smashed a window at the toilet, the gents, and then threw the tracker from the window into a conveniently... Nearby lorry or truck, which <laughs> be then. Fucked if there
1: was nothing there, wouldn't you? Which is like, what is it, one in the morning or something? Like it's well, not outside the bounds of possibility that the road would have nothing on it.
0: Well, not 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 only that, it's into the back of this truck that then conveniently drives off straight away. Um, I suppose it might be a street outside, so he's idling at the lights or something. But anyway, yeah. so she, she's thrown the tracker into that. That's a great shot from the window into the back of this lorry, and then it's driven off. So they smashing
1: a window that's apparently also not security glass as no. an access point into a building that contains the most priceless collection of <laughs> paintings and antiquities in human history.
0: Yeah, yeah, that too. And then um, they they run out of the obviously they run out of the museum a different way, avoiding the guards. And they're they're home free
1: <laughs> because at this point nobody's nobody's locked the exits isn't the whole thing about this part of the the gallery that there's only one exit and that's why they didn't go round the other side when they heard somebody dying in the middle distance they were just like i'd love to but what can we do we're so far away yeah. oh it turns out there was a secret exit yeah don't worry about it
0: i also love the the idea that as soon as the tracker starts moving away the, the the guy Fash gets on the uh, on the intercom and says, Every guard and policeman we've got chase after it. We, I'm going all in, all the chips on this tracking bug. And guy, again, that that guy uh, the, the guy originally suggested putting the microphone um on, on the bug. Shouldn't we have a couple of guards just sort of waiting around in case saying, nothing else is going to happen, is it? We've got the tracking bug, let's just go and do this. <laughs>
1: No, I meant everybody, and not just in the building either, everybody in Paris. Unrest on the outskirts, no chance. Violence going on outside some of the late-night clubs, not a chance. No, 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 everybody is going to follow this completely untrained art history expert. Yeah. This is more important.
0: I, such is my confidence in the fact we've got to follow this... this. This tracker. Um, Also, unlock all the doors to the Louvre and switch all the CCTV cameras off because we don't need to worry about any of this anymore.
1: We don't need them anymore. We don't need them anymore. And what is it? What is it? If we don't need them anymore, it's redundant. That is right, Jean-Pierre. Fine, (laughs) forget it. Let's move on.
0: So that's part one of uh, the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) Um, I I think I need to say now. If you still, you're probably not still listening. If you do, but if you love this book, I am sorry because I know we don't. We're not mad on it. So we 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 kind of picking holes in it, and and some of it is you should be suspending suspending your disbelief. Um, so yeah, if you really like it, and you're like, oh come on, don't be don't be so mean to it. Yeah, do apologise. But this this yes, is just true. our honest opinion, and we, we do kind of we we <laughs> just we just do that. You know, we can't pretend we like something if we don't. So. Yeah, That's Um,
1: true. That's true. And I think it is worth saying, like, and reiterating the fact that the first time through, this is a fantastic thrill ride. It really is. It's exciting. It's just when I read it in the sort of depth I do to do the podcast about it, suddenly it falls to pieces. It's like, it's like something you shine, you know, shine, like glance a light over and it's fine. You shine a light on it and it fades immediately. hmm. However, however, I'm having a great time. I'm well looking forward to next
0: week. Yeah, I've got to admit, I'm enjoying it. Um, but maybe not for quite the right reasons. But it is, it is, it's fun. So, um, so yeah, that's the, if you want. If you're reading along with us next week, yeah, we're going to read as far as chapter fifty-three. That's page two nine nine. So, um, so By going. the
1: way, can, can I give some props here to your mad ability to run through chapters? Because 15 minutes ago, we were on chapter 8 out of 19, and so fast <laughs> are the chapters here that it's just like, uh, Silas stands up in a room and takes three paces forward. Next chapter, None <laughs> looks at the ceiling and thinks about art history for two pages. Next chapter, it's <laughs> glorious. It's like watching speed eating, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah to be to be fair that's one of the one of the strengths of the book is it it really goes at a pace does not it so you you do feel like there's much, a yeah. that you're moving very quickly um and you know so so that that's 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 fun as well. It's nice to it have a, a pacey yeah. book. Yeah. Um if you've got any thoughts, good or otherwise, on uh, the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brain, all you need to do you know you know the drill now, Sharklets. You need to send them to Shark at gmail.com That's sharkliveroilpodcast podcast at gmail.com We're also on that there Twitter at Shark Royal, and there are rumours we've been threatening to do it for a while of really kickstarting the Facebook side of things. So um, <laughs> watch the skies for that because that's that's yep. coming down soon. We are finally how long's Facebook been about? Fifteen years. We're finally going to yeah. jump on the Facebook bandwagon. Um, <laughs> so yeah, seems to be sticking to
1: around. So we're now willing to put time into it.
0: Yeah, it's done. It's sort of it's impressed us sufficiently you now that we're going to bring the Shark the Royal brand to Twitter we're basically we're basically going to do for Facebook what we did for Twitter which I think largely (laughs) success is based on us yeah Twitter
1: since we joined really has become a a careful and considered place of respectful debate and dialogue hasn't it yeah yeah because correlation implies causation Matt Twitter's fallen off a cliff just after we joined it I hope that we haven't contributed to that in any way
0: (laughs) yeah well we have I think we've got been involved in one serious Twitter debate and it was whether or not Robert Muldoon from Jurassic Park is the most badass guy ever to wear knee-length white socks, and uh, we decided he was.
1: He was, he was,
0: he was. Despite the many, many singers of kind of
1: turn-of-the-century new metal bands who also wore knee-length white socks, they <laughs> can't really touch him, can they?
0: No. Well, none of them have of Well, none of them have... Star- well, none of them have- Uh, featured in a um, in an entire film and been the most badass character in said film without once firing the gun that's
1: true and uh, you know a character that contains velociraptors as well and there's Robin Muldoon walking through it
0: yeah well well, glorious Glorious. anyway we're not talking about Jurassic Park we're talking about the Da Vinci Code and we will talk more about the Da Vinci Code uh, next week Uh, join us as we unlock the further mysteries of the Code Join us. Join us.